Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James, a very goodly evening to you. Goodly evening, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right. I'm just opening the window here because it's really hot in my office. The sun is shining at the back of the house and uh, it's been amazing here. Amazing weather here in Dublin for the last few days. And uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. What about you? I'm good. I'm in Romford. Um home of well Ray parlor among others famous social uh, club yeah yeah and I, i'm actually firmly in west ham territory here it's interesting <gasps> because okay obviously to most of us the europa conference league final is that even what it's called i can't be sure i think so i think so is entirely i'm gonna say meaningless <laughs> or, or certainly mm. without much consequence but here in Romford, there are West Ham flags in shops and car windows and outside houses ahead uh, of Wednesday night's final. And of course, Declan Rice's farewell before his impending <laughs> certain move to Arsenal. Yeah, I was just looking it up. It's being played in uh, Prague. Should be a good good town for all the uh, West Ham and Fiorentina fans to hang out in. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, if you're a West Ham fan, presumably that's pretty glamorous. So the European final in Prague against Fiorentina feels like a sort of, you know, 90s uh, throwback as well to see Fiorentina in a European final. Yeah, it's it does cool. a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, Batistuda and all that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was going to ask you about this, actually, at one point. But, you know, the, the, the inconvenience, perhaps, of this UEFA Europa Conference League final, uh, you know, for, for being a slight obstacle in the, the Declan Rice, the pursuit of Declan Rice. Um, yeah. And we had some – we actually had a question. Let me see. Maybe it was on Twitter or it could have been on the Discord. I've just got them here. Um, let me see. Ah, I can never find these things. Oh, yeah, here it is. I've got it. It comes from Arteta Inn. That guy's really fucking... He's yeah, really, this is his time. Yeah. He's really nailing his colours to the mast here. He's at Biscuits and Gaby on Twitter. And he said, in terms of... Uh, hello, guys. He says, in terms of moving on with deals in our transfer business, would you rather Declan Rice and West Ham win the Europa Conference League final or lose it? Thanks. Hmm. I, um, I don't think the outcome of the final, the result, will make a dramatic difference to Arsenal's business. I, I, I accept that the final being when it is, is a little bit of a hurdle. I mean, it'll be played on June the 7th. Which doesn't feel right, does it? It's a bit nonsense. That is a bit nonsensical, you know, yeah. given the way... 
Finals are supposed to be, I, I, I will admit here, I forgot about the FA Cup final at the weekend, but we might talk about that. But yeah, June 7th feels late. It does feel late, given I the I think players. it was the first FA Cup final to be played in June. Presumably this is all a knock-on effect from the uh, Winter World Cup. Uh, of course, of course. But I think, I think win or lose, I don't think it's going to make a difference really for Arsenal regarding Rice and West Ham. But... You know, I think um, I, I would imagine the player himself would ideally like things to not, you know, step up or become uh, too intense in terms of negotiations between clubs until that final is out of the way, you would think. Yeah, I mean, do, do you worry a little bit about the uh, the old Thierry Henry Barcelona situation, you know, where he stayed for one more year out of guilt? That. Because we lost the final, and and I think I you know I think if we had won that final against Barcelona, he would have left. Um, you know, going out on a, a bit of a high—that's just my own personal opinion. I, I don't think it will make a difference. But I, you know, if you were to ask me right now, I you know let's see West Ham win it. Let's see West Ham win it. Let's see Declan Rice if he is going to come to Arsenal. Come you know, feeling like perhaps you know his work at West Ham is done. My work here is done. And now I must go to North London because there's work to do there. You know, that kind of way. Do you not worry that, you know, a West Ham win, the image of Declan Rice lifting that trophy will be seen by other suitors and stack a few million quid on top of West Ham's already lofting, lofty asking price? Uh, not really. I mean, I think, you know, he's a good player, so big teams are going to be interested in good players anyway. West Ham, it doesn't feel to me like they're going to just sort of say, ah, here, we've won the thing. You have him for, you know, knockdown price or anything like that. I, You know, unless he sort of scores a hat-trick in the final or something, I don't think it's going to add too many millions to the fee that they would already be looking for. No, no. I, I, yeah, I agree. But obviously, I think it is a bit of a um, a barrier to, yeah. to negotiations really intensifying until that's out of the way. So, so you missed the FA Cup final? I did. Completely missed it. I forgot it was even on. Someone sent me a text. Uh, my friend Nigel sent me a text on, on Saturday saying, thanks for not mentioning the FA Cup final in your blog. I can't even begin to think about that confest of a game. And I replied, well, <laughs> it wasn't deliberate. It was not a deliberate omission. I had completely forgotten that the game was on. Mm. Well, I mean, uh, good for you. I, I think that's probably a lovely way to experience the FA Cup final. I actually watched it in full. Right. Um, did you have a preference? I mean, you know what happened? On Saturday afternoon, I told you here the weather was good, uh, beautiful sunny day. I had made pizza dough in the morning, so I was going to make pizzas out in the back garden in the evening, in the afternoon, evening, and have a couple of beers and, and all the rest. So I had to go around to the supermarket to get a a few bits and bobs, a few beers in and everything else. And there's a young lad there who works at the checkout. He's a really nice young man. He really is. And I said to him, how are you? And he said, oh, I'm a bit nervous. I'm actually really, really nervous. And I said, ah... FA Cup final, is it? And he went, yeah. I said, I'm a big Man United fan and I'm going to take my break at three. I'm only going to get to see the first half, but I'm so nervous. I'm so, I'm like bricking it. You know, I, I, I sort of felt so bad for him that I wanted United to win in a weird way. Mm. But it was very much a case of, I couldn't give a fuck. 
beyond that, once I got over that little bit with the guy in the supermarket, I was like, I, I just do not care. I don't care. I did care. a poll on uh, Twitter. Right. Uh, of my followers. And uh, 81.5% said they would prefer City to win. Just 18.5% wow. for United. Yeah, it's pretty Why do you emphatic. think that is? I mean, do you think that's because... You know, we obviously have a, a history with Manchester United and all the rest of it. You know, is is it a case that, like, people can just look at a Manchester City trophy win and go, yeah, well, who gives a fuck about that? Like, I don't care. We all know why they've won it, da-da-da. Or is it a case that they might harbour some feelings from that time when we were rivals at Manchester United and their supreme achievement, which, you know, came at, uh, came at some cost to us, Right. The mm. treble came at some cost to us. When you think about that FA Cup semi-final and Dennis Bergkamp missing the penalty and oh, the gig's gold. Why didn't Lee? Why didn't Lee Dixon just kick him in the fucking leg? Yeah, no one ever asked Lee that. Apparently, never. <laughs> um, so yeah, do you think there was an element of that? I think so. I think people who lived through that rivalry with Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, carry a lot of scars from that. Mm. I also think uh, a few people said, and we may come to this, well, I want Sissy to win because then we'll be in the community shield. Ooh. Um, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then a, I, I do wonder if the rest of it is just people who, you know, much like there were many neutrals or fans of rival clubs is maybe a better way of putting it, who wanted City to win the league this season because I think a lot of people feel that City's triumphs don't register in the, the same way as other clubs do. They're meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Because kind of, of. Yeah. Yeah. And also they're probably all going to be stripped away once they get found guilty of <laughs> breaching all these rules. Um, so I, I think there's, that's a big part of it. And, and, I, and I get it. You know, I I wanted City to win because I didn't want to see United. I didn't want to see Bruno Fernandes happy. I didn't want to read a load of, you know, big pieces about how Ten Hag has restored United to their rightful position. Mm. Uh, I didn't want to hear United fans telling me they had a better season than us because they'd won two trophies. You know, I just thought sure. City, it's just another notch, isn't it? It's just another... Trophy with that big asterisk against it that in a long line, and it's sad. It's sad, but it sort of ceases to mean anything after a certain point. What 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 did you make of the game? Because uh, I saw very quickly that the city were one nil up, the quickest yeah. goal in FA Cup final history from Ilkay Gundogan. Not uh, a bad goal. Uh, no, not bad to open the scoring in an FA Cup final. I mean, wasn't the the other quickest one Roberto Di Matteo? Was that the other it one? It was, and that was a and really I was good goal. In the stadium for that, right? Uh, uh, with my Chelsea supporting family, I I tagged along for the day. I'm glad um, that you took a. I'm glad you took a ticket away from a real Chelsea fan. So am I. So am Fuck I. Fuck them. Um, pure plastic. Yes. But uh, that was surpassed. A few years ago, actually a goal against Chelsea, Louis Sahar of Everton scored, I think, after about 16 seconds or so. Wow. So that had overtaken Di Matteo. How have I, how did, I mean, that's just... I, I also said, um, I texted my brother 
the Chelsea fan saying, City have even bought Di Matteo's record. And he said, we actually lost that years ago. Oh, we played okay. in the game. <laughs> but um, yeah, Louis Sahar scored against Petr Cech of Chelsea. But then I uh, presume Chelsea went on to win the cup, did they? I think they did. Mate. I, I, I feel like it was one of those finals where Drogba just, you know, turned it round. Mm. Um, we were on the end of a couple of those, I recall. But basically... Um, yeah. So, but yeah, this goal, Gundogan beat them all, and, and what a strike! Um, and then United got the most absurd penalty decision. Yes. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah, I saw it. Thoughts on that? Bullshit. I mean, just nonsense. Yeah. I mean, look. On the one hand, anything bad that happens to Manchester City, I am here for. They deserve it and more, and double that again, right? Mm. But, but. That's nonsense. That can't. That just can't be a penalty. It can't. I, I thought I found it so interesting. I think every professional who like ex-pro, basically, who I've seen on TV or who I follow on social media, they were pretty much uniform across the board that that can't be a penalty, even if within the letter of the law it currently is. Yeah, that is a terrible oversight that yeah. needs to be um, actually that's the rules and uh, you know <laughs> it turns out that is a penalty by the letter of the rule i mean fuck off please no. I, I thought it was so crazy that you know what they call the referee over to look at it i genuinely thought he might look at it and go i can't give that as a penalty you know what i mean mm. but obviously he went with the var and i guess with the wording of the law I'm, I even take some issue with that. I, I had a look at the law. I'm not sure I buy that that's an offence under the law as it stands even. So, yeah, United got back into the game through that, and that was basically all they'd offered in the entire first half. Mm -hmm. But then City went out and scored again. Um, Gundogan with another volley from the edge of the box. And I think David De Gea is still going down. <laughs> He's still trying to get down to that one. Please, a five-year deal for David De Gea, Manchester United. Make it six, don't mind. Six, eight. Get the full Mudrick into De Gea, if you ask me. Please. I mean, please. I'm He's sorry. He's so loathed by Manchester United fans at the moment. Um, I just desperately hope may, they extend his May I ask a question, though? Because, you know, I, I saw a bit of it afterwards, right? Like I said, I didn't yeah. watch it. I preferred to eat pizza. Uh, I actually made a, a, an amazing sandwich out of pizza dough as well, which is uh, which is well worth your time if you can figure that out. Um, that does sound good. It does. You just get a, like a slightly smaller than a pizza bit and you puff it up in the, the pizza oven, slice it in half, and then you fill it with whatever you want to fill it with. And it's fucking good, let me tell you. But I did see this afterwards. And they have a corner. And... Lurking on the edge of the box is the man who scores from the edge of the box, yeah. Ilkay Gundogan. This is what he does. And not a single Manchester United player went anywhere near him. No. What? What? Why? What they preferred to do, actually, was stand directly in front of their goalkeeper, preventing him having any sight on the ball. Mm. So, yeah, it was a, an intriguing strategy they deployed <laughs> from that corner kick. Uh, and lo and behold, they lost the game. And I think it's fair to say that 2-1 flattered United. Um, did it finish 2-1? I think it did. 
It did. Maybe City scored again. No, 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 no. 2 1. 2 1. I saw that much. I saw okay. that. Okay. So, yeah. So, there you go. City get the second part of their treble. Mm hmm. Oh, I think as well. Sorry. I, I should have factored that into why people wanted to see United lose so much. I think there is a relish that the treble is about to be um, matched by Manchester City, whereas the Invincibles. Because that was always the debate, the treble versus the Invincibles. If if that happens, will remain a kind of unique achievement, maybe one of the only remaining unique achievements in this league. Yeah, it's better anyway, so, you know. Yeah, it's gold. Uh, Ours is gold. Yeah, and theirs is not. You know? I mean, look, it's good. Theirs is good. We're not saying it's not good, but it's not as good as, it's not as, good as that. Um, well, look, you know, Manchester Derby in an FA Cup final, you would expect some blood and thunder. It doesn't seem like there was an awful lot of that in the game either. No, I mean, obviously, Casemiro put in a tackle in the first 20 minutes he should have been sent off for and didn't even get a booking. How did he? I mean, how did he? But, that? you know, that's a, a regular occurrence. Nothing to remark. Well, he's always getting sent off. He got sent off about five times this season, no? Yeah, he should have been. What's incredible is that he should have been sent off about twice as many times. As <laughs> um, I don't know what he's up to. In Spain, apparently, he was renowned for these very dangerous challenges, but because he was with Real Madrid, he got away with quite ah. And uh, I think, you know, Manchester United have a similar kind of insulation against some of this stuff. But even, mm. even the Premier League reference referees have had to send him off from time to time <laughs> but not at Wembley they wouldn't dare. not at Wembley um I mean thoughts on what this means then uh, community shield which you know I feel like I could have done without the community shield um yeah I feel like as punishment for losing the FA Cup final Manchester United should be made playing the community shield against Manchester City against again. Manchester City again I mean, I, I, we won it, of course, didn't we, in 2020 um, in an empty stadium, I believe, against Liverpool. And Do you know what? I can, no, when you say that, I cannot remember that game. Yeah. Not a Aubameyang scored an Aubameyang goal. Ainsley Maitland-Niles shone as a left wing back. Right. Um, was that not the FA Cup final, no? Or was it the same shit in <laughs> it's, that Well, game? it was basically the same thing. We played a back three, I think. Um, we played the system that had won the FA Cup and beat Liverpool, uh, as I recall. Um, I, I just remember Mikel Arteta holding that big shield aloft. Um it it, oh, oh no, that's Carabao Cup. Okay, I'm just trying to. <laughs> Have trying you got to... genuinely no recollection of this? Literally none. Literally. Well, I think none. that's probably the COVID era, probably all just blending into one somewhat for you. Let's see. Arsenal Liverpool Community Shield 2020 Community Shield. It was 1 all. Aubameyang scored early on, and Minamino equalised for Liverpool. Minamino? Then... Yeah. And Arsenal won on penalties. Did Maitland-Niles take one of his good penalties? He did. We scored all five penalties. Reese Nelson, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Cedric Suarez, David sure Luiz. Sure it wasn't a cross? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Weirdly, he started his run-up on the right wing. Um, <laughs> And David Luiz and Aubameyang with the fifth penalty to seal it. This was right. in the era 
lest we forget when Aubameyang could do no wrong on the eve of what would be quite a disastrous first half of the season. Yes. I mean, the Arsenal team that day, I've just looked it up. Emmy Martinez, Rob Holding, David Luiz, Kieran Tierney, Hector Bellerin, Mohamed Elneny, Granit Xhaka, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Bakayo Saka, uh, Eddie Nketiah and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Yeah. Um, Suarez, Kolasinac, Willock and Nelson came on. Wow. Still don't It's another time. It sure is. It feels like a long time ago, not just three years or whatever it is. And Emmy Martinez played. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But then I think when the league started, I think by then Leno came back in immediately. Yeah, because when did he join? He must have joined Villa then pretty... It was pretty soon after that, but mm. I, I seem to remember that... Leno got the nod against Fulham on the opening day and gave that interview where he was like, I was always the number one. I am the number one and I will be the number one. Yeah. Not for long, pal. No, for a season. <laughs> yeah. When you see what happens <laughs> down the line. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, so we won that, but it did uh, set us out on a, as I say, a pretty ropey first half of the season. So I don't know. Who knows? Listen, it's one of those where if you lose it, it's a completely meaningless Mm -hmm. game. And if we win it, we will party on the streets of North London. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The power has shifted completely. Exactly. Yes. We could, uh, because there's some talk that there may be an an Emirates Cup, maybe like a one Emirates Cup game. So we could potentially win two pieces of silverware before the season has even kicked oh, off. Oh, really? I didn't realise that, that there was an Emirates Cup game because they're, I mean, they're playing Barcelona in Los Angeles on the 26th, yeah. is it? Yeah, the 26th of July. Yes, and then the, and then the um, what do you call it, Community Shield. Is on the 6th of August. 6th of August, yeah. And there's some talk that there may be Ooh. a midweek Emirates Cup, but it's not, nothing confirmed. Well, the 26th is a Wednesday, yeah. which means they would have to probably play that game on the weekend, mm-hmm. which means Josh is going to have to pay for fucking business class for all the boys to come back from Los Angeles on a Wednesday, maybe a Thursday, and then play on a Saturday. Business know, class I don't plus. Know about you, but one thing I love to do after getting off an 11 hour flight is. Play, play yeah. football. Yeah, just two days later. I love yeah, that. Yeah, I love to do Particularly that. Particularly <laughs> when you're going the other side. Like, what, whatever about going from this side of the Atlantic to that side, doing it the other way around is where the real jet lag happens. Mm. You know? Yeah, so. that could be an interesting game. If it happens. As I say, these are just rumours yeah, unconfirmed. We'll wait and but see who we're going to play. Think silverware, Andrew. Boreham Wood, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get Boreham Wood along. Lift another trophy yeah, just to yeah. get us in the mood. Yeah. Exactly. You know, winning is a habit. Trophies are a habit. Get a few under your belt before the season starts. Job is OXO. That's the real treble. Emirates Community Shield Carabao. <laughs> That's what we're going for next season. Yeah, you can stick your other trebles uh, right up your ass. Um, what else is going on? Is there anything else going on? There doesn't it's Kieran Tierney's birthday, Andrew. We had a question. Zach, I know. Zach Taze said, as it's uh, Katie's birthday today, what is your favourite moment of him in an Arsenal shirt? Um, 
I like the goal against West Brom. You just picked the thing that I was going to say, because that's the only thing I can... Was it snowing? Yeah, I think so. And obviously he was playing naked in the snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, He insisted. He wore only a Tesco bag (laughs) strapped around his nether regions. (laughs) Uh, And that was a brilliant goal. He was was great that day. And a right foot top corner strike. Right foot shot. I remember us being good that day after you mentioned that period of that season in 2020 when we were not good. And we were very not good. But then we sort of got our shit together where the, you know, the, the Smith came in and Smith things started happening. And, uh, yeah, I think, did he? Well, certainly Bakayo Saka scored that day, I think. Uh, but the Tierney goal was, was very good. Um, yeah, yeah right-footed, uh, I think. Smith Rowe put one on a plate for Saka, didn't he, after a really lovely move? It was mm. that all the other way around. I can't remember. But that was my favourite Tierney moment. Um does anything else stand out for you? I mean, there's got to be loads considering considering how many games he's played. And I think yeah. that I, I know what my Kieran Tierney low point was as well. If you're interested, was it the shoulder injury? Oh, that would be fair. But no, it was the game away to Spurs, the 36 crosses game, where. It just seemed like we had absolutely no idea how to attack other than Kieran Tierney getting to the byline and swinging in crosses to nobody. We collapsed him, did we? Yeah, it was kind of like the nadir of our we've forgotten how to play football period. Um, But yeah, the West Brom goal is a happier memory. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Kieran Tierney. Um... I, I, I marked his birthday. Uh, in the time-honoured fashion by making a video about how much money we might be able to sell him for. This is football. This is football (laughs) heritage. It's a cruel industry. (laughs) It's a very cruel industry. I feel bad now, you know, that I don't have another, like, favourite Kieran Tierney moment because there are some other goals that he scored for us and and all the rest, but uh, I think that speaks more to my memory than it does to Kieran Tierney's contribution. Well, you don't remember the Community Shield win even happened. So yeah. I don't think Kieran Tierney should be too offended. No, I don't think he will be. I don't think he will be. Um, I think just uh, you know, know, I think the, as well, on. you'd have to say some of his performances in that cup run that got us to that Community Shield when he was playing um, a hybrid role, one mm-hmm. of the early hybrid roles as a kind of left back slash centre back. He was very good in those games. No, I agree. And I think it's just, you know, probably the fact that he came in and was an actual left back, you know, after we had some struggles in that position. I think that just that, the very essence of him as a left back. Uh, He did score a good goal in Europe, didn't he? This season, yeah, he did. Not this season, a couple of seasons ago. Seemed to remember him scoring one against someone. I think he scored one this season where he was just very grumpy. And he like just kicked the ball in the net, like arrived. Maybe it was away in Portugal, something. I don't know. One of those Europa games. Zurich. FC Zurich. Was that the one? Yes. He just smashed it in very grumpily and turned around, got back on with his bit, removed another layer of clothing in celebration. Yeah, yeah. And got on with his. He just was, he had no skin on at all. It was just his organs, just the organs on the outside. Uh, I remember is, his debut, actually. I think yeah. his debut was in the League Cup, 
maybe against Nottingham Forest. Because mm-hmm. um, he had a bit of an injury, didn't he, when he came? He had an injury. Yes, it was Nottingham Forest. And Arsenal won 5-0. And I remember watching that game and being very excited about it because it, he was just sort of doing that kick and run thing on the touchline where he would just knock it past somebody and accelerate beyond them um, and swing a ball into the box. And it was a, it was at that time a new dimension for our player. It's, it's weird. <laughs> I, I've said this before, but I do think that maybe more so than any player, any individual player, Kieran Tierney tracks the evolution of Mikel Arteta's Arsenal teams mm. in the way in which he has been featured or has been integral to our tactical setup or has not been at various points. Mm. Like he was incredibly important um, initially in that sort of back three role, then as the overlapping fullback, the fifth lane of attack. Uh, and then the side has slowly evolved beyond him to the point where, you know, there were times this season where he wasn't even the second choice left back. You know, we saw the likes of Tommy Asu and, and Kivior playing there. Yeah. Um, as, as well as Sinchenko, obviously. So it's just been a really interesting, undulating journey for him. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing those Kivior appearances at the end of the season were sort of a trial run on the basis that everyone more or less accepts that Kieran Tierney is going to be going somewhere else. So rather than give him testimonial appearances, if you like, they're looking at Kivior in that position and thinking, okay, what can he do? How can we do it? What do we need to do if he plays there, et cetera, et cetera? I think that's fair. But I still think the selection of Tommy Asu ahead of him earlier in the season sure. no, was I agree. probably one of the moments where Kieran Tierney thought, I might need to think about going uh-oh. somewhere else. Uh-oh. Yeah. Or, or just uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. I've got to get closer to home. If only there was a club closer to home that was awash with billions and billions of of pounds that could probably afford to buy me for the 50 million pounds that I'm going to cost. Mm. <clears throat> We'll see. We'll see on the fee with that one. Um, Let's just keep saying 50 million. And then... Yeah, why not? We might just convince Newcastle that's what they have to pay. Shakhtar did it with Mudrik. (laughs) If we just talk about a crazy number long enough, someone will pay it. Well, I mean, you know, they did the whole, well, if Anthony cost 80 million, Mudrik should cost 100 million. That's true. Can we not do that? Can we not do... I mean, do we have an example of, you know... I know there are some out there, but maybe that's just what we should try and do as a negotiating tactic. Who else is going to be in for Kieran Tierney? I saw some talk of Aston Villa, which just felt a bit like media putting two and two together because he'd... um, you know, he'd worked with Unai Emery. But Emery launches sure. raid for Kalasinac. Yeah, just like <laughs> getting the band back together. Uh, how much would you bet that Ginduzi ends up at Aston Villa this summer? <laughs> would not surprise me. No, I think there was. T- that I think they were tried to do it in January actually, and there was also some talk of West Ham potentially looking at him as a Declan Rice replacement. Uh, well, the very be- best of luck to them with that. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I say. Okay. But it would be interesting anyway. I, I, listen, he's, we know he's professed his love for Unai. So mm. did you notice on the subject of Unai Emery and Aston Villa, obviously they got into Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the expense of uh, I wonder who various teams. Spurs, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. very fun, enjoyable. But I don't know if you noticed that um, Douglas Louise, who we tried to buy in... August, whatever it was at the start of the season, under Unai Emery, his form 
went completely crazy. Like he, he scored became, loads of goals, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He became this like extraordinary uh, goal scoring midfield player, sort of almost from nowhere. Um, and it made me think because I was always pretty like uninspired, maybe by him as a potential signing. It was like very much a case of like, yeah, I suppose that sure. would do. Um, you know, but he, yeah, he really took off. When did it, when did Emery join Villa? Good question. Emery joins Villa. Let's have a look. It was uh, October. October. So okay. Who is that? End of October. All right. So under Unai Emery, he scored five goals in. Let me go back to October. One, two, three, four, five. I mean, like about twenty-two games or something like that. Yeah, is- and in a similar period, one, two, three, four, five, six assists in the league. Oh, wow, so okay. He, he, he actually ended the season as like one of the most um, yeah, productive midfield players uh, in the division, which is kind of crazy. But there you go. Maybe, maybe there was something in the uh, in, in what we were looking at there. Maybe we knew. Maybe, maybe we they knew. saw something in Douglas Louise that, frankly, I did not. Who would think? that these professional coaches and scouts would know more than me. Mm, I, well, I don't think that anyway. That's fine. You know. Thank you. Um, let's see what sort of question we might have. Okay, here's one from Dancing Bear on the Discord. He says, which of the lone players do you think will come back and be integrated into the first team squad? I have a weird feeling it might be Nicolas Pepe. What do you think? Wow. That would be weird. Mm. Although when I look at the list, I mean, there's not really anyone else. My answer is kind of none of them, to be honest with you. Mm. I think if the club get their way, none of them will. I'm looking at the first team squad page now and the on loan section um, tucked away beneath the forwards. So there's a couple of keepers Alex Runison and Arthur Okonkwo. I think there's a chance that Okonkwo might be the third choice next season. I, I believe Carl Hine is going to go out on loan. Right. But I had been led to believe that they might look to bring in somebody more experienced to be the third choice. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what a lot of these big clubs do these days. Uh, Get your Mark Pooms in and just fucking Scott relax. Carson's about to win the treble, <laughs> genuinely. <laughs> um, and I think that Arsenal made inquiries over a sort of a couple of keepers of similar profile, you know, experienced veterans who would sort of just be an emergency stopgap. Sure. I know it's. I know losing your first two, two um, goalkeepers is pretty unlikely, but. If it does happen, I think throwing a very inexperienced guy into a potential Champions League quarterfinal or something is, is generally best avoided. Yes, um, I would. I would agree. So we shall see. But uh, I don't. So I don't think either of them necessarily. Cedric. No. no. But it relies on someone taking him, um, and he didn't set the world alight at Fulham. So yeah. Nuno Tavares. I don't see that happening. For all the fun he brings to the fair, <laughs> <laughs> he's a Catherine wheel of a footballer. Um, but 
all of a sudden the Catherine wheel has gone skidding off the fence post that it's been nailed to and it's fucking burning the faces of nine children who've just yeah. been brought from the I, orphanage to look look at the fireworks children ah! apparently Marseille aren't too convinced about keeping him so mm. yeah that, I'll be intrigued to see what happens there Pablo Marie we hear is that's gonna happen right like yeah it, it, they stayed up so he'll be gone Yes, there was a clause, I think an obligation if they had avoided relegation that Monza would then uh, buy him for a set fee, I think around six million. And he seems happy and he seems healthy. And given uh, what happened to him earlier this season, that's all good news. Um, Austin Trusty, we we periodically get questions from our American listeners about Austin Trusty and whether or not he's going to be integrated with Arsenal. I, I understand he was Birmingham's player of the year mm-hmm. uh, at centre-back, but I still think uh, probably the leap is, is too great for him. Mm. So I, 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 it wouldn't surprise me if they brought him on the US tour, you know, and he did a load of press and featured a bit there, but I, I don't think I see him being part of the first Do you know who was Birmingham season. player of the year in 2008? Uh, was it Nicholas Bentner? No. Nope. Seb Larson. Seb Larson. Mm. We sent a few there. Fabrice Bouamba went down there as well, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in a, uh, an esteemed list with players like Robbie Savage, Jeff yeah. Horsfield. <laughs> and so this is some serious football heritage we're talking about. Yeah, here. John Torral, former, uh, formerly of this neighbourhood as well. Has well to we've be sent said. a few players to Birmingham over the years, actually. Yeah. Um, but I don't think so. Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Done. He's gone anyway. He's done. I believe he is actually was invited to the club to say his farewells um, towards the end of the season. So uh, that was sort of a nice touch and a marker for a guy who's been with us for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Albert Laconga, or Sambi, as he's sometimes known. I, I don't think he'll be back. I really don't. I, Do you think we'll those, sell or loan? Yeah. I, he basically didn't really feature very much after Roy Hodgson came in. He was obviously a Patrick Vieira signing mm. at Palace and, um, yeah, didn't really get much of a look in under Hodgson. So I, th- I don't think he'll be staying there, but I, I'm sure there'll be someone in France will take him. Burnley? Vincent Company? Yeah, that, that would there. be an interesting one. That would be a good, an interesting reunion. It's almost tempting to do that, depending on his contractual situation, to do that as a loan, you know, and see how he does mm. um, with a full season of Premier League football. And then you've got the forwards. So Marquinhos, uh, I think it'll be another loan for him, probably. Yeah, I agree. Balogun, I think will be sold. Probably, yes. But I think of all the players that are in that list of loan players, if you were to pick one who could potentially make a first team, if not breakthrough, but be part of the first team squad, I think he's probably the one I would choose because, you know, as we've gone through all the others, it doesn't seem likely that they're going to be involved. Well, the final name is Pepe. The question said they had a sneaky suspicion for Pepe. They said a weird feeling, and I think that's probably probably right. They could could have been out in the sun a little too long. (laughs) I mean... Do you think there's any risk that Arsenal can't sell Pepe? Oh, I think it's going to be, yeah, I think it's going to be difficult to sell Pepe because he got, I think he got eight goals and an assist in Liga and Balogun has got 
20 odd goals and Lacazette's got 20 something goals. So by, by your mates, shall you be judged as they say in the Bible. And, um, I think Pepe's numbers are pretty underwhelming to be honest. I think it's going to be difficult to sell him or loan him or find somewhere to take him, even though I think it might be one of those that we incentivize, if that's the right way of putting it. But I really don't believe there's any way that Mikel Arteta would want him back. I think it's the final year yeah. of his contract, potentially. Yeah. Um, last chance to get something mm. for him. Well, I mean, if they get something that's, you know, reasonable, fair play. But I think this, you know, it's going to be really difficult. I mean, they couldn't do I, it last I, I, year. Yeah. And... I think anything's better than nothing in this situation. I agree. You know? If we can get a fee for mm. him, um, I think he, he'll probably be let go. But yeah, I can only see him staying at Arsenal if it's one of those where like literally we can't, we can't get you. Yeah. We can't um, say. So there you go. That's the low knees. Um, another one slightly similar. Laguna Grumpy says, hey, gents, a lot of talk on incomings. But do you see anyone in the academy? And he also mentions on loan, but let's not talk about uh, the on loan because we've just done that. Do you see anyone in the academy having a more prominent role next season? Well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, there are a bunch of players out on loan in the academy who we didn't mention. So that's names like Charlie Patino, um, you know, Brooke Norton Cuffey. Um, Is it time for Matt Smith? <laughs> <laughs> Matt Smith. FA Cup winner, Matt yeah. Smith. Yeah, he is. Um, Miguel Aziz as well. Remember, there was a lot of excitement yeah. about Miguel Aziz at one time, Omar Rakik. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, Charlie Patino obviously had a decent season at Blackpool, very highly thought of. It seems he wants to go and play elsewhere, um, which I, I'd sort of file under the Balogun one, where for me it's like I'm fine with it. I just want Arsenal to protect themselves, you know, put the right clauses sure. in those deals that if they turn out to be absolute worldy talents, we don't look... Mm. foolish um, and maybe even we have a chance to get him back uh, that would be nice um, yeah I mean that's an interesting aspect of like let's say you know the Patino deal and I think there's there's good reasons for him wanting to go somewhere else to play because we've talked about this right as the level rises it becomes more difficult as an academy player to make your way into the first team right yeah but if you deal with a player in that circumstance who you think, look, this is a good young player, but you know, he's going to need a couple of years before he can really start to challenge for a first team place with us. If you say to him, well, you know, we're not going to sell you because we think you could be good. Maybe if you put the right clause in and you facilitate the, the move that he wants, it means that that door is not shut. You don't burn your bridges with the player. If in two years time you have a buyback clause or a first option or whatever it might be. And this guy is like, okay, he's got two years under his belt. He's really developed. Well, we have a chance potentially to bring him back. And he feels like, Hey, you know what? I am where I am now because Arsenal allowed me to go. Yeah. And you don't get into the situation we had with, someone like Ainsley Maitland-Niles, for example, where, you know, we dug our heels in and kept him and didn't really use him. 
let him go. But let's put let's put a buy back in if we can. So, you know, if we if if he turns out to be the player, he certainly has the potential to be. I mean, he's got a ton of ability. Um, we can press the button a couple of years down the line. Sure. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I'd say the same regarding Balogun. And and also given these boys extensive history with Arsenal. And given the fact that we are where we are at this point in time and we're a club on the up, I don't see them necessarily being resistant to that idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably quite attractive um, and quite smart in terms of the market. So yeah. that would be my hope. And, you know, sell on clauses as well if we choose to not activate those buybacks and they go on to play elsewhere or make another big move. Yeah. Um, but looking at this list, no, I, I don't see it. I mean, I think... I think there might be young players who we sign. You know, we might sign a, a nineteen or twenty-year-old who Mikel Arteta thinks the world of, uh, who could come into the first-team squad straight away. Um, I think you know they're they're looking at a couple of South American talents as they did last summer with Marquinhos. I think there's another two or three players of interest uh, to Edu and his team that could be, you know, the new Martinelli, potentially one of those guys who gets a chance in preseason and goes on does well. But um, I don't see someone coming out of the academy. Do you? It's difficult. Like I said, the level has gone up, you know, and it's going to be more difficult for these guys to to make a breakthrough. And, you know, there's some good names, people um, like Koja Dubry, uh, Rule Walters, who are sort of on the fringes, Mara yeah, Bandera, you know, so they're there. But it just depends on what else we do and who else might go and what space there might be for one one or two of those to make their breakthrough. Um, but it really does become more difficult as, as you're a team that uh, your ambitions and your, your uh, aims for the season are much higher. It's just so tough for these young guys to, to break through. So yeah, you just don't know, though. That's the thing. You just do not know with young players. One of them might come in and... Um, you know, just storm it up in preseason. You saw Brooke Norton Cuffey, for example, had a good season uh, on loan. I know he had two two teams, didn't he? Ended up at Coventry. I can't remember where he went first. Um, you know, depending on what we do at right back, who knows where there might be a little bit of space. But I am extremely excited now by the uh, the idea of a new Martinelli because I've grown tired of the old Martinelli. Fatigued. Just, I've had enough of him. You know, he's... Just taking the picture. Well, he might be the new Martinelli, or he might be the new Marquinhos. We we never know, but yeah, certainly I think there are a couple of uh, you know young Brazilian prospects that Arsenal are, are, are among the teams fighting for. So right, that could be interesting. I mean, the other one who's a massive talent which we didn't mention is, is Lino Souza, who's mm-hmm. really well thought of, and potentially there is actually a gap in the squad at left, left back. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's eighteen years old. <sighs> I don't know. I mean, the boy at City, um, Rico Lewis, has come in and mm. done a terrific job, and um, he's eighteen as well. I do think the club think really highly of Lino Souza and see him as a first team player potentially one day. I just don't know if we'll promote him to that position in the squad quite yet. I, I wonder if there might be a loan yeah. before that. Step. I mean, what I would say is that you know when you when you think about the decision-making that Mikel Arteta makes, if he decided, if he said, like, one of these young guys was going to be part of the squad next season, you would trust his judgment in that regard because he does not want 
and has shown on more than one occasion he does not want to bring young players into the team before he feels they are ready, whether that's physically, mentally, technically, whatever it might be, that if somebody does get the nod, if someone gets to, right, you're with us now, and you're in the you're in the squad for, for uh, most of the season, I would absolutely trust Arteta's judgment on that. Yes, I think that's fair. And, and also the other thing to say is these things aren't easy to predict. There are lots of names we didn't mention there. Mm. Nobody would have called Alex Awobi uh, stepping up and playing at the new Camp and becoming sure. uh, an Arsenal first-team player. So sometimes a guy comes out of the woodwork a bit, and or left field rather, and mm. we shall see. But I, I think... I do think Arteta will be hoping to have a, a big enough squad that he's not relying on uh, teenagers next season. Yes. Okay. Well, look, we have got 47 minutes into this. So I think what we should do is take a little break um, and then we'll come back with some more questions in part two right after this. Sound good? Yeah. Sounds right. good. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. James, let's uh, let's have a few questions from you to kick off part two. Okay, let's do this. Um, <laughs> just subtly just working it in there. It was a very understated we, uh, one, though. Yeah, very I just hoping to sort of slip it into people's subconsciousness. I feel like you pulled out halfway through, kind of. <laughs> um, right. I had a lot of jokes in my head then. I didn't do any of them. Good. So, uh, <laughs> is Ben, who's at East End Ben, asks, is it now time for the transfer predictions? No. No, no, it's not time for the transfer predictions because we need to consider these um, these futuristic. Uh, I'm thinking of another word for pred- predictions, and I can't think of one. Prognostications is that one? That could be one. That could be one. I feel like we need a little bit of time to consider it. And we can only really consider it once we know whether or not Declan Rice has won the Europa League final. Europa like Conference everyone League. else in world football, we are waiting for the Europa Conference League yeah. final. How about this, though? We will make a commitment to doing them on next week's show. How's that? Ooh, I like it. Trailing next week's show. For sure. This is the Give big me- one. 
you yeah. know, where we get our numbers completely and utterly wrong, but in the absence of any evidence of that, because we never remember to go back over them, nobody really knows how bad we are, even though we are terrible. The only numbers that matter, Andrew, are going to be the listener numbers next week, and they are <laughs> going to be through the roof. Now that we, you have expertly trailed next week's show. Sure. Okay, well, as soon as we hang up here, I'm going to get to work. I'm going to start abacus. doing it. What do, what do we do? We just predict a total, total I've got a big spend. whiteboard like Edu, and I write on it. Declan Rice. Moises Caicedo. Couple of young Brazilian lads. The new Martinelli. An old goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it says on Edu's London Colney whiteboard. I mean, it's... The new Martinelli. An old goalkeeper and Declan Rice. Um, I think what we do is we we predict a position and a price point for that position and a total. Right. Does that seem reasonable? I think that's fair. I mean, do we predict who's going to go? Like, who's going to... Who yeah, we do say? that as okay, well. We yeah, say right. how much we're going to recoup. Right. We're always really bad at it, though. So the answer to the original question, is it time... Uh, East Ham Ben is no but look what you've done you've created a hook for next week's show thank you so in much in the absence of football matches I'd say is frankly necessary yep you're mar- uh, Betty's in marketing actually I think he probably is okay what about this then mm. here's a question you can't wriggle out of okay um, we had a couple of questions along these lines on the discord one was from Dom I believe, and the other was from Sean. So Dom said, hi, would you take Lavia or Livramento from Southampton, Adams from Leeds or Madison Tielemans from Leicester? Could they be our next Ramsdale? Offer value in the market and top up the squad with players with experience of a league but room to develop? And similarly, Sean said, with the season completed across Europe, which players would you be willing to consider from Europe's clearance rack? And he suggested Tyler Adams, Sinistera from Leeds, Harvey Barnes from Leicester, or even Josselu from Espanyol. Josselu from Espanyol. I had not considered um, him at all. Um, what about the Premier League relegated clubs? I was struck there was a list today of the players Leicester have re- released or that will be leaving them at the end of the season. I was like, well, listen, you know, we're going to see a lot of those players, I imagine, in the Premier League next season. You know what's somebody. you know what's really funny is when you think back to last summer and pretty much all the smart money, all the smart midfield money was on us signing Yuri Tielemans, right? I remember. Right? And now I feel like, jeez. You know who's going for Yuri Tielemans, according to The Athletic, about an hour ago? Uh, Tottenham? It was uh, Unai. Unai. Aston Villa. I mean, finally found a one-pace midfielder to replace Steven Nzonzi in his heart. <laughs> I mean, it, it is funny, though, to consider. I saw the uh, Spurs are after Harvey Barnes as well. Um, right. and he's a good player. I like him. I do like him. I'm just not sure he's quite what we need, but I do think he is a good player. Um, but the idea of Tielemans at Arsenal now... Like this, 12 months ago, you'd have been like, yeah, this guy's technically really good. He scored some amazing goals last season. But I don't think he's got the athleticism to play in this Mikel Arteta team. I no. just don't see it. I, I, you know, 
That was always the worry with him. And mm. in fact, the reservation that a lot of clubs had about him, you know, could did he have the, the fleet of foot, as they say? You know what it is, though? I do wonder if maybe, like, he's still relatively young, isn't he? Like, he's only 25, is that right? Yeah. Yuri Tielemans, he's 26, 26 now. Right? Um, he has made an extraordinary number of first-team appearances in that time. I mm-hmm. think he's up to, like, way over 400 and something, which is a lot, 445 for a 26-year-old in Europe as well. I just wonder if the legs, even if they were never that great in the first place, are sort of running on empty a little bit at this point. Perhaps. Perhaps. I think he's a good player, and I, I think... Technically excellent. There's no two yeah. ways about it, but... Uh, you, you can't have enough... Um, you know, it, there's a reason... He's very he's a different type of player, but there's a reason Arsenal have kept renewing Mohamed Elneny and keeping him around for years. You do need bodies in your midfield. If you play with a midfield three, mm. sooner or later, you're going to require that depth. And, um, you know, I think theoretically Tielemans could provide some of that but I yeah I don't see it happening um just having a think about other relegated players Leicester I mean James Madison's very well thought no of. Had a, not for you no 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 okay no. we've already done um, the whole Madison thing you know it was Madison or Odegaard and there were there were wars over that culture wars and, yeah, I know right too and... many wounds from those culture wars um, I was always team Odegaard well, as was I. Mm. Uh, we were I'm, right I, for once. Amazing. We were right for <laughs> once. Um, Southampton have got a load of sort of like interesting young players. Yeah, Lavia is um, you know one of the ones that people like a lot. There's a buyback for Man City for him, mm. I believe. £40 million clause that they can activate. I think it's this summer. Um, so... I guess that would make them favourites there. I I think we'll be looking for more sort of senior additions to the midfield than him. But I wouldn't be averse to it. What age is he, Romeo? He's only 20, I think. Yeah, I mean... I mean, we had a question. 19. All right, we had a, we had a question from Jmart91 who said, Morning, gents. Uh, if we didn't get Caicedo, would Lavia be a good alternative option? I think it depends what he's going to be. You know, if he's coming in to play week in, week out, then I'd say he's probably not ready for that uh, in the Champions League. But if he was coming in because, you know, El Nenny was going to be phased out or not really figure with his injury, um, and we wanted someone who was going to be, you know, a rotation player and pick up minutes in the cups and a development guy, you know, mm. taking on the kind of Sabi Laconga role within the group, then yeah. Why not? Got the same agent as Bakayo Saka and Eddie Nketiah and, and Foller and Balagoon. Well, he's famously easy to deal with, so yeah. I imagine. Why not? That deal will be completed without a hiccup. I mean, there's a player I like at Leeds, I have to say, which is uh, Wilfred Nonto. I, I do really like that guy. He um, is kind of fun, all right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he has. I mean, he's very small, which is always fun. But he's got that sort of stockiness, that sort of like, uh, I don't know. There's a novelty he, factor to watching him play, like watching Jovinko. Is that his name, Jovinko? Jovinko, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
ever so small. But yeah, very talented, I think. And uh, Arsenal looked at him in some detail when he was playing for Zurich. He was quite well liked, but he ultimately went to Leeds. I think he's a really good pickup for someone already in Italy international, 19 mm. years old, could play all across the front. I mm. like him. Speaking of uh, agents. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, I saw stories this week about uh, Xavi. Is it Simons or Simons? Yeah. Uh, Simons? I don't know. Xavi Simons, who's at PSV, who was good against us in the uh, Europa League. PSG have a buyback clause, I think, but it doesn't preclude PSV from from dealing with another club if the right offer comes in. He, he was brilliant just, against us. Yeah. I was there that night yeah. and he was sensational. He has just changed his agent from uh, Bob Agent to Darren Dean, you know, son of son of David Dean. I don't know if that makes it any more or less likely that Arsenal might do a deal for this guy. Um, but I have seen him mentioned in dispatches. What do, what do you think about that interest? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about it. But I, again, he's a player I really like. And you do have to bear in mind, obviously, he's coming out of um, Holland, mm. where, you know, there's mixed precedent, shall we say, in terms of how players have adapted. Some have done really well. So. There are more misses than hits, it's fair sure. to say. More Kesmans than... Than Suarez's. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Um, some very evil players, Suarez, Van Nistelrooy. That's true. Um, I think of Holland as such a nice country, but they've given us some horrible. Well, Suarez, of course, he only came. He was sort of travelling through to to get to. Of the, course, the, Van Nistelrooy was pure Dutch evil. That's true. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think he, he's a great player and, and uh, plays a load of different positions. Play basically everywhere. You know, I think yeah. he's got that sort of Barcelona schooling of uh, total football and all that. So might ring yeah. some bells for Mikel Arteta who does like uh does like his players to be versatile, doesn't he? He does. He does. I, I think that would be an interesting one as well. Um yeah, I don't know about the Darren Dean thing. I mean, I suppose there was a time that would have been of more relevance than it is currently. Um, well, only from the point of view that, you know, it would have inevitably meant that player being fucking sold somewhere else. And because he was quite good, so we shall see. I, I I was really impressed with him against us, and obviously that's only one game. I'm not watching sure. all season long, but I, I gather he's done really well. And on the relegation thing, um, just to come back to it, I, I would have no qualms if there was a player, if there's a player you like, and they got they're coming from a relegated club, it's a great opportunity, you know. Mm. But people said when Arsenal signed Ramsdale, he's been relegated twice in a row, and that was really stick that was used to beat them. But there are good players in the Premier League that, that go down. It's just a, a nature of how competitive it is these days. Yeah, and just, you know, who might be available that fits into the position that you need, yeah. you know, to upgrade, for example. Um, like, I don't yeah. want, you know, I don't want to bring Luke Ayling back. I'm sorry, Luke, you had your time, but... Theo's on a free, I noticed. Yes. Can, can I ask you a question, by the way? Sure. On subject of transfer rumours. I don't think we had a question about this, but there are a lot of transfer rumours about um, Tottenham's captain, Harry Kane. Mm. Real Madrid seem to be ramping up the marker machine. Um, (laughs) 
and uh, I think Manchester United have been mentioned. He's under contract with Spurs, and when Spurs don't want to sell a player, um, they're pretty intransigent about it. But do you like have a perspective on it? Like, would you do you would you be happy? Are you hoping Spurs sell Harry Kane? I feel like maybe Spurs selling Harry Kane could be the most sensible thing they could do in one way because it would help them, you know, accept that they're in a period where they need to rebuild and not be completely reliant on one player. And I'm not saying they are completely reliant on one player, but when I think you have a player like him as your captain, your figurehead, your center forward, it becomes too much of the focus, right? So I think if they really genuinely want to improve, they should probably sell him. Yeah. Whether they do or not, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing if you're the the new Spurs manager, the appointment that is causing a lot of (laughs) angst among our uh, Australian fans because he's a very, very popular guy down there. And we have a lot of Arsenal fans in Australia who are looking at this going, oh, no. What'd you do that for? Um, yeah. yeah, because they really like him, but now he's obviously tainted by association with, with Tottenham. I suppose it would be the opportunity to, to sort of restart things for them. Well, yes. I get, I- we have to hope they go the Gareth Bale route, right? They sell him, lose their best player, and spend all the money on... On shitheads. Eric Lamella and Roberto Soldado. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People Com- like that. Complete dickheads who do Paulinho. Nothing. Yeah, all of that. I mean, I I don't really read too much into... I'd be absolutely staggered if Harry Kane went to Real Madrid. Like, it would be an amazing move for him, but I still would be staggered if he went there because I think he wants the Premier League goal-scoring record. Well, obviously, he's never won anything. Well, that's what I mean. Like, if he so stays, that's his one hope. If he stays at Tottenham, he is n- he's never going to win anything, right? We know that. It's the history of the Tottenham. But he could finish his career. Like, yeah, Shearer has 260. He has two, 213. Like, if United pushed the boat out for him, I could see him go there if they yeah. really push the boat out for him. But I don't know if United are, are they that? I mean, that's going to be a lot of money on a guy who's, what, going to be 30 in a couple of weeks' time? Well, they did it for Casemiro. Mm, oh, Jesus, I suppose so. Yeah, maybe there's some precedent there. Um, but I don't see him going to, um, I don't see him going to Real Madrid I wouldn't be surprised if he went to Man United if they really pushed, but I would say he's going to stay there because he's just that's his fate. That's yeah, he Purgatory deserves it. Yeah, forever. What did what? Spurs. Go on. No, I was just going to say you mentioned the uh, the great Australian dilemma. We had questions about that. I'm sure people saying, "How the hell do I?" cope with this yeah because he is a very po- oh, here you go i don't know how to pronounce your name good sir but you're on the discord it's y37ir as an australian arsenal supporter 
how should I stop the inner turmoil brought about by wanting an Aussie to do well in the Premier League versus never wanting anything good to happen to Spurs ever? I mean, you have to prioritise. It's as simple as that. That's true. You know, one guy doing well is good for one guy. And it might be good for Australian football fans. But you have to think about the potential misery of tens and hundreds of thousands of Tottenham fans. And that should be your priority. That's the way I look at it. I mean, he seems like a good guy, this fella. I've watched some of his stuff, you know, and um, you know he's done a really good job at Celtic. He's done good work elsewhere. I mean, I think it is still a little bit of a hitting hope in a way. It's a bit of a pun, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Like, you know, I'm not downplaying any of the achievements that he's had in the jobs that he's done, but he's never really, you know, he's 57 and, you know, his career has been in Australia, uh, in Japan. He's done well there and, and in Celtic, um, you know, which, you know, with all due respect to our Scottish pals, is not, the Scottish Premier League is not the most competitive. Um. Brendan Rodgers won a bazillion things at Celtic, didn't he? Uh, Some talk he might go back. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit of a gamble. I mean, look, this guy is a proper coach who mm. has actually done the job um, and done a good job lots of places. Um, it's not like appointing, say, Frank Lampard. Uh, <laughs> But, and he does seem like a good guy. It is sort of weird, isn't it? When Spurs were looking for a manager before, I remember feeling like, oh, I, I sort of hope Graham Potter doesn't go there because I quite like him and I think he's seems like a decent man and a good coach. And he'd sort of dodged that bullet, thankfully, mm. um, taking a much more explosive bullet at Chelsea. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, someone's got to manage them. Haven't they? And I'm, my biggest worry is how the scansion of uh, Postacoglu is going to make it very difficult to in, in, include in chance. Postacoglu. Well, I mean, that's you know, that's a, a small issue that I think we have. But uh, for our Australian, actually, it works, I guess. Yeah, it could do. <laughs> um, for our Australian fan, uh, friends, we you know we sympathise and everything else, but you know. The the success of one of your countrymen cannot come before the downfall, the misery, the dismay, the mayhem that Tottenham deserve for yeah. simply being Tottenham. He's so, had a good career, all you can but say, it is now over. <laughs> all you can, Effectively. All you can say is, let's hope he just goes there, comes out the other side, you know, goes for a good, long, hot shower, and gets another good job and does does a good uh, it does good work there. I agree. I agree. Okay, here is a question for this is quite good from KT. Noting talk around transfer values of 100 million for Rice, 100 million for Caicedo, should Arsenal be looking to compete in this market or focus more attention on the identifying value in the market? And wise Marklar says I didn't think I'd ever see talk of Arsenal spending 200 million in a transfer window and the fan base barely bat an eyelid. When does the spending stop or are we on our way to Europe's top table and this is how things are going to be from now on? 
Well, I'm one of the people who isn't convinced that Arsenal will sign both Declan Rice and Caicedo. Um, and, and maybe isn't convinced Arsenal can do both those things. I I tend to agree with you, but I think I really feel it's one of those where we should if we can, but it yeah, is, yeah. It is a well, lot. I see the value of both. I, mm. I just... And, and listen, I think in the past few summers, Arsenal have always... We talk about our sort of doing our net spend or whatever. I think Arsenal comfortably outstripped what I have anticipated them doing in the last two summers. Mm. Um, you know, we spend a lot of money and that's something, you know, that other fans of other teams are quite quick to remind us of, but uh, we really have. And to be fair to the club and to the ownership, you know, that has changed quite dramatically of late. I know there are all sorts of financial reasons that that is the case now. Um, is it right? I think, I think we sort of are in that place now. Like we, we, I think that gets to a point where if you really want to compete, that is what you need to do. I mean, to use the example of Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, you know, they assembled a team picking up guys like Salah and Mane. Um, I think I sort of said Salah and Mane. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I thought time. that was good. <laughs> Salah. Salah. Yeah. Mane. Mane. Yeah. I just blended them into one mm. in my mind. Um, and But then when it came to the crunch, they were like, well, we've got to pay the money to get Alisson and we've got to pay the money to get Van Dijk. Um, and to an extent, I mean, they spent a lot of money on Naby Keita at the time, although that didn't really work And Darwin out. Nunez. Darwin fair. Nunez. Oh, now they do it regularly. Now they're doing it, you know, fairly frequently, bringing in these big, big, big t top ticket uh, names. I just think that is sort of the nature of the game now. And I think, mm. I think we were in a place where we were building out the squad, 20 million here, 30 million there. 50 million on Ben White, you know, building like a base. But now to put the cherry on the cake, I just think, well, cherries are pretty expensive, basically. That's no good if you're trying to make a perfect Manhattan. I know. You need the, you need the cherry. And that's the situation we're in. No, yeah, I, I, I think... No, I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think there is a... I think there is a, a Premier League level of spending that is obviously there because of you know how much premier league clubs make and generate in revenue and you know it outstrips everybody else in europe and that is a factor when it comes to buying players within the premier league and from outside the premier league you know um and and the reality is if you do want the best players the best players cost a lot of money unless for some reason they are you know, at the end of a contract or something like that, and you can you can do the deal in that sense. But you know, it's very rare that the best players go for free. You know, I mean, one thing I have to reluctantly give Man City credit for is that while they have made big marquee purchases like Jack Grealish, or I, I count Erling Haaland in that bracket, even though his transfer fee was apparently so reasonable you know the amount of money that's gone into that deal 
is vastly more uh, mm. than that figure. But they have also made some quite smart, relatively affordable signings. You know, you look at Kanji, you look at Alvarez, who came in for them last season up top. I think I think you have to do both. But I just think that sometimes there's a key cog or a key piece in the team that means you've got to push the boat out. And I think Arsenal have reached maybe a year or two quicker than they themselves anticipated have reached that point in their trajectory. Mm. Um, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how far they push this summer, because I think if you, you could make a really, really good argument that if you spend big on Rice and Caicedo this summer, you don't need to touch your midfield for, you know, beyond a little bit of um, touching up here and there, you know, when the likes of El Neni and Jorginho shift away and Partey shift away, um, you know, your investment in that area, area of the pitch covers you for the next five, six, seven years. So if you can sort of justify that outlay now on the basis that we're not going to have to spend that much money in that area of the pitch um, for, for quite a long time, it's really worth it. But it's just, you know, how realistic that is based on what else they feel they need to do this summer. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would be a pretty spectacular way to, you know, have successes for Shaka and Thomas Partey. I do just wonder though if they, if Rice and Caicedo, I still feel like for me there would be a piece missing in that midfield in terms of someone who offered a bit more going forward. You mm. know, um, maybe the club think Fabio Vieira is that guy, or maybe they think Emil Smith Rowe is that guy. We had a question about Smith Rowe. Comes from Gabby 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 Gull, who says, "Now that we know Smith Rowe is staying." What do you make of how Arteta handled him this season? Really interesting one, isn't it? Mm. It's so interesting. We did the live show um, at the end of the season on the Saturday night and somebody sent in a question about Emil Smith-Rowe's future and I said that I couldn't really see one for him at Arsenal given the way he was used. And then... um, on Sunday night, after the uh, Wolves game and all the sort of hullabaloo after that, uh, I discovered that he had been told in no uncertain terms that he was staying at Arsenal. Mm. And I was so surprised. <laughs> uh, really surprised. But maybe I was wrong to be because... Were you pleasantly surprised? Yeah, I, yeah. Because I've got a lot of... I mean, partly just purely on a sort of emotional level. You know, I think there's a an affection and attachment to Emil Smith-Rowe. Mm. I think even coldly, I think he's um, a very talented player. And from what I hear, the coaching staff basically feel that it's fair and right to give him a chance at a season without injury and see what he can do. And I can't argue with that assessment. I think it's good. Um, we need all the talented players we can get and we have enough wiggle room with his contract to give him that season, you know, and see how he does. And if it doesn't work out, okay, you know, maybe that is it. But 
Um, I think that he and his representatives would have gone into that meeting possibly anticipating a very different outcome and maybe even possibly wanting a different outcome because he's not been playing. Mm. Um, so in terms of the way he was managed, I think when he was out the team, one of the frustrations was that he didn't really know why and there wasn't a great deal of communication about the selection and why he wasn't getting these opportunities. Um, <laughs> but maybe I should... Uh, and so it's tempting to be, like, critical of that, but I think it's quite typical of Arteta in some respects. Uh, like, I think... I think uh, maybe it's something he didn't feel the need to articulate because it was so evident to him. You know, like maybe he was just like, you just need to show me more. Do you remember when um, Arsene Wenger was in charge and there was an element... I remember that period, yeah. You remember maybe. that? Yeah, it was only a couple of years, I know, but it could pass you by pretty quickly. But, <laughs> but that sort of thing feels almost Wenger-esque in that... He would he would wait for players to work things out for themselves. Yes, he didn't want to give you the answer. He didn't want to give you the answer. And it's like, to me, based on what we know now, because similar to you, I was really worried about what was going to happen with Smithrow. I was really worried that the fact he wasn't being used was basically evidence that his time at Arsenal was going to come to a close. And I didn't want that because I, I really like him as a player. He's a very exciting and enjoyable player. Um, so it, based on what we know now, it feels like the way he was managed was a challenge. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And there have been more explicit challenges from Arteta in sure. press conferences and other public comments about the player. Um you know, I I said this elsewhere, but I I wonder if in some ways Smith Rowe finds himself in a not entirely dissimilar situation to the one Granit Xhaka was in a year ago when Arteta said, to be honest, I need X from you mm. if you're going to be an Arsenal player. And Xhaka, by all accounts, came back to training four kilos lighter in the shape of his life and had the season of his life. And that may be what Smith Rowe has to do to prove himself to Arteta and regain his place. And I sort of think, so be it, you know. He, he can't sure. be a promising kid forever. At a certain point, he has to step up and be reliable in the manager's eyes. Mm. And I, I, think it, I think the physical aspect is a huge component in it, you know. Shaka came back in great shape, but to be honest, Shaka's always in pretty good shape, and Shaka can always play. And one of Smith Rowe's big issues is that he can't always play, or uh, certainly until now hasn't always been able to play. And even looking at him, his body type, his body shape, I think has really changed over the past couple of years. And there may be a process of adaptation for him to that, to mm. changing his game. You know, he's he's a six foot guy now, and he's quite broadly built, and. That might involve some learning, some acclimatization, but it's a huge 
huge season in his career because I think given the way last last season went, mm. it's it, it's no exaggeration to say it's make or break for him now. No, I agree. I agree. But I'm glad that, you know, this summer, I guess the, the slate is wiped clean and he has another chance because I think the talent is there. The ability is there. It's just whether or not he can rise to this particular challenge. And I, I really, really hope that he does. Yeah. Here's a question from John Greer, who's at John Greer 05, who says on Twitter, he says, which current Arsenal player do you think Arteta will repurpose with a new role or a different position next season? Oh, I think it will be Colo Torre as a central midfielder. <laughs> And Thomas Vermaelen up front. Thomas Vermaelen uh, as a central midfielder. Yeah. I think... So it can't be something we've already seen. Um, I mean, Smith Rowe as the eight is an example of... That's a contender, isn't it? That is one of the really, big contenders. We've seen, you know, a little bit of that, but not very much at all. Martinelli up front, some might suggest... Mm. Jesus on the wing. We've not seen that. Um, I think that could be one that, that, that could be one. we see a little bit. Because didn't that happen in the last game or one of the last games when Eddie came on and he played up front yeah. and Jesus moved out wide? Whereas all season when, when Eddie came on, he was the guy who stayed wide and Jesus was, was in the middle. Zinchenko in midfield? Possible. I mean, you know, I, I'm not sure you can quite call that repurposing because it's so obviously his natural position. Mm. Um, keep your left back. I, I, you know, if, if Thomas Partey, do you think we would see more of him in that right back role? Mm. Don't think so. I'd be surprised. Yeah. I'd be surprised. I think that was very much a case of needs must at the end of the season. What they wanted to do was see Kivior at left back rather than at right center half. So how do you move Kivior to left back when you don't have another right-sided center back or you don't have another right back? And I think Partey was just a little bit part of that jigsaw, if you like. I think I think Smith-Rowe in midfield would be the one. Mm. And I know that he... Because I sometimes have this thing with Smith-Rowe where I'm like, well, he's really he's really not Martin Odegaard. You know, he's he's a very... I know that they were at one point in kind of direct competition to be the number 10, but I think they're very different players. And I always thought of Odegaard as an on-the-ball player and Smith Rowe as an off-the-ball guy, someone who could make great runs, you know, in behind and great timing, great finishing. Um, and actually, when you think about Shaka's yes role last season, a lot yes. of it was about that. It was a much lower touch role than we'd seen Shaka in previously. A lot of it was making those runs, providing width, getting into the box at the right time. And those are all things Smith Rowe can do. Mm. So I'll say that. All right. Let's say that. that I would, would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. Okay. Have you got one? Mm. Tom Clark says, any thoughts on the controversial away kit that is soon to come out? I mean, it looks like absolute shit. I'm yes. sorry. I think Adidas have, like, 
continuously knocked it out of the park when it comes to our kits since they took over again. But I don't understand this sort of Microsoft Paint approach to the away kit. Maybe, sure. you know, maybe when you see it on the players, I don't know. I often feel that about kits. It's like, oh, I'm not sure about that. Not sure if that's good. And then you see it on the players and it looks good. But I'm not convinced they, they all that look, that's yeah, happen. Yeah, they look good when we're winning them. That's for sure. I think... So I've been told that it's kind of viewed as sort of a, um, a potential festival shirt, you know, something that you could see at people wearing oh, at Glastonbury at and Glasto, yeah. etc. Um, there is sort of a market for that, I think, uh, mm. but it's pretty niche, and I think it's for people. I I hesitate to say, Andrew, but a little bit younger than you and I. Who's playing at Glastonbury this year? Um, Elton John. <laughs> Elton John? Is it Elton John? It is I've Elton John. I've just looked at... Oh, hang on a minute. Saturday, Guns and Roses. Yeah. And okay. Elton John. Maybe it's John. not for people yet. Yeah. But listen, I think Glastonbury Rick is Astley. a bit older than a lot of festivals. Rick Astley. But say at Wireless, you know, right. or wherever. I think this might be kids wearing that away shirt. But I don't. I can't see a world in which I can pull that off. To be honest, I don't think so. The new the new home kit looked good on you. I have to say, yep, did look we'll good. Keep, we'll stick to that. We'll stick to that. Um, right, I think we did well there, Andrew. I think we did. I think we did. We we had a big question about the Saliba contract thing. Do you want to do it just very quickly, or is that just? Are we just repeating ourselves? Um, Okay, let's do it, but we've got to give a one-word answer. Okay. DJC, who's at It's DJC. I believe he's also playing at Glastonbury this year because they're, yeah. they're having anyone, basically. He's uh, too young. He's too young for that. <laughs> he said, do you think Saliba's camp are just playing the negotiation game or could there possibly be some sour feelings for the way he was treated, loans, not deemed ready, etc., and therefore not jumping to sign a renewal, even though he looks quite happy? So is it just negotiation, or is there something else? Uh, oh, so hard to do in one answer. One word, rather. My one word is possibly. I suppose what I would say is I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. I think that... Um, some deals are easier to do than other deals. Arsenal have been talking to Saliba and talking about negotiating that contract and doing that contract for a long time now. And in that time, they have done deals with other players. They mm. have done a deal with Gabriel Martinelli. They have done a deal with Kai Saka, with Aaron Ramsdale, possibly with Gabriel as well. That may have been even done before that. Um some contracts are easier to do than others, and there are all sorts of reasons for that. And one of those reasons is relationship and trust. And I think it would be reasonable of Saliba and his camp to not be as trusting and as on great terms with the club as certain other players, because there were periods of time where his treatment or the management of his situation was less than ideal. Mm. Um, so I think it is a negotiation. Money solves all problems. But 
But I think there might be players and agents that Arsenal could do this deal quicker with, you know? Sure. Uh, um, so I think they kind of go hand in hand. What do you What do you think? I think Mikel Arteta and Edu should stand outside William Saliba's house and sing him an Elton John song. Yeah. Can you feel Which the one? love? Can you feel the love tonight? From <laughs> I was the- going to say, sorry seems to be the hardest word, but okay. <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? Yeah, from, that's better. That, from the Lion King. That doesn't have any tragedy in it As at all. As a duet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can see what's happening. <laughs> what? And they don't have a clue. He'll run it down and go to PSG on a free. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's our only chance. That's our only chance. Um, well, sorry, we couldn't answer that question definitively and happily for everybody, but it is one of those situations where I think we're all going to be slightly on tenterhooks until something definitive happens. No doubt it's a question that we'll return to over the course of the summer. For now, though, I think we should leave it all there because uh, I'm still shocked that Elton John is going to be uh, headlining Glastonbury. Then again, David Bowie headlined Glastonbury Um that's not the same it's thing, not mate. The same. No, David Bowie's much more akin to Glastonbury than than Elton John, who should be just doing like Las Vegas. I know, right? Yeah. Well, I think he's retiring, Elton John. I think he is. They never retire. They just keep. He's been going, on his retirement tour. For oh, about this is the last time I'm playing years. my hits. And then, like seventeen years yeah. later, they're still fucking yeah. Crocodile like Rock this. comes out again. Fucking Crocodile Rock. <laughs> really too <laughs> but <laughs> so you're going to Glastonbury that's I'm what you're saying Glastonbury you're going saying. to Glastonbury wearing the Arsenal away kit well you have a you have a great time I, I thank you when he, when he does can you feel the love tonight I've got Saliba on the back of my away kit awesome. lighters are up beautiful beautiful all right we will leave it there for now hope you enjoyed the show thank you very much indeed as always for being with us we'll have more for you during the week for now we'll leave it there until the next one take it easy folks cheers bye bye small details are big surfaces Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.